Oh, Sangha.
Good morning, my dear Sangha. Today is uh, the 9th of uh, June, 2012, and we are in uh, the Meditation Hall, Assembly of Stars, Lower Hamlet, during our 21-day retreat, The Science of the Buddha. We can, uh, we can uh, speak of uh, our practice in terms of uh, energy, because mindfulness is a kind of energy. Concentration is a kind of energy, and insight is also a kind of energy. These are very wholesome uh, positive kind of energies that can help us transform ourselves and transform the world. And we know that uh, together we can do better because the collective energy of mindfulness, concentration and insight can help uh, heal everyone and transform everyone. And we have uh, our part, our contribution in making that happen, the collective energy of mindfulness concentration, inside peace and brotherhood. <coughs> when we walk together, Every one of us uh, focus our attention on our in-breath, out-breath, and steps. We are taking care of ourselves by observing our breath, observing our steps, and uh, in the meanwhile, we generate the energy of mindfulness and peace and concentration and joy. We are taking care of ourselves. But when you do that, you also take care of other people. Because other people around you will profit also from the energy that you generate while breathing and uh, walking. I always observe uh, my friends, my disciples, my students when they walk. You may not know, but uh, Thay is always uh, <laughs> observing you. <laughs> and Thay has an eyes behind. <laughs> Even if you walk uh, behind Thay, they still see you. <laughs> uh, we come together for 21 day retreat. And uh, in the process, uh, in the time uh, being together, we have built together a kind of uh, monument, a kind of uh, stupa, kind of temple called uh, Brotherhood. Nothing can be achieved without uh, the energy of brotherhood and sisterhood. If you want to save uh, the planet, 
If you want to transform society, you need brotherhood, sisterhood. Technology is not enough. And if we do not have a brotherhood, sisterhood, technology might be destructive, more than constructive. So when we speak about um, environment, uh, peace, uh, social justice, and so we usually speak of uh, non-violent action, uh, technology, and other means in order to achieve this. But we forget that the element of brotherhood, sisterhood is very crucial. Without that, we cannot do anything at all. And uh, brotherhood, sisterhood is uh, a kind of energy also that uh, help us to be strong. And that can be built uh, with the practice of mindfulness, mindfulness of uh, listening, mindfulness of uh, speaking, so that we can restore communication, we can make communication easier, we can communicate with ourselves easier, we can communicate with other people easier, and since we can communicate, we can um, restore uh, uh, harmony and generate uh, understanding and compassion. So uh, when we come together for 21 days, uh, we might think that uh, we will learn some practice, we will learn some sutras, we get a chance to understand more uh, the teaching of the Buddha, to make friends with uh, uh, other practitioners, uh, to uh, improve our practice. But one of the things uh, we do during the time we are together is to help uh, build brotherhood, sisterhood, which is very crucial for changing the future, changing the present moment. Brotherhood is a kind of monument, and we need the time to build it. And uh, with the energy of mindfulness, concentration, and insight, uh, we will be able to build uh, true brotherhood, sisterhood. And with that, we, we have hope. Without brotherhood, sisterhood, without Maitri and Karuna, we cannot uh, do anything. The word Zen uh, is a Japanese pronunciation of uh, Dhyana. Dhyana is a Sanskrit term, mean, uh, it is uh, for meditation.
Chinese pronounce this as Chan. Chan Buddhism. The Japanese Zen. And the Vietnamese uh, Thien. The, um, the Sanskrit. Yana. Yana. So if you want to write it completely, you have to add na thien na thien na jana. And uh, translated into Vietnamese and uh, Chinese, that is the practice of uh, reflection, reflecting. Tư duy tu. of uh, reflecting. In Plumlesh, uh, we like to use the word, uh, the expression, the practice of looking deeply. Uh, in order to look deeply, you should have the time to be there. And with uh, mindfulness and concentration, you can direct your attention to what is there and have a deep look. And with that energy of mindfulness and concentration, you can get a breakthrough and uh, begin to see the nature, the true nature of what is there. What is there may be a cloud, maybe a pebble, maybe a human being, maybe our anger. So the practice of Zen, the practice of Jnana meditation is uh, to be there and to look uh, deeply. And the result is a full understanding of the nature of what is there. Uh, and what is there may be our body. Uh, Buddhism in Vietnam um, begin with uh, that kind of Buddhism. Uh, in the second, uh, uh, in the beginning of the third century, uh, there was there was a businessman coming uh, who came from uh, Sogdian. And uh, he went uh, to Vietnam by boat as a merchant. And uh, usually uh, businessmen from India, when they come um, 
they will land on Vietnam first before they go to China. So that young merchant uh, uh, and other people, they, they, they stay there in order to do business and wait until uh, the wind is uh, favorable in order to go back to India. So they have many months staying in Vietnam. And during that time, they practiced their Buddhism, and that is how Buddhism was brought to Vietnam. That was the first and the second century uh, AD. And uh, there was uh, there was a young merchant like that who found that Vietnam is pleasant to stay, so he stayed there, and he married a Vietnamese uh, young lady. And he gave birth to a little boy who became the first uh, teacher of Zen Buddhism. Uh, his name is Tang Hoi, Seng, Seng Hui. Tang Hoi. When Tang Hoi was ten, his father died. His mother also died. And he was accepted to be an aspirant for noviceship in a Buddhist temple. And uh, that was uh, during the, the, the first half of the third century. And Vietnam was already a Buddhist center. And that is why Tang Hoi was able to learn Sanskrit and Chinese in, in Vietnam, in North Vietnam now. <coughs> and uh, he began to organize Sangha and practice and teaching in Vietnam before he went to China in order to, to, to share the practice of uh, Buddhist meditation. At that time, the Han Empire was uh, already collapsed, and, and, and there were three countries uh, uh, Bắc Ngụy, Tây Thục, and Đông Ngu. Đông Ngu. Uh, the Wu uh, Kingdom was uh, at the south, next to, uh, to, to Vietnam. So, uh, he, Tăng Hội left Vietnam to go to the Wu Kingdom in the first half of the third century. And it is recorded in Buddhist history that when he came to the Wu Kingdom, there is no Buddhist monk. He was the first Buddhist monk seen by the people of the Wu dynasty. And he set up a little hut and he practiced walking meditation. And people begin to talk about the presence of a Buddhist monk. And the, the king of uh, 
of the whole uh, uh, empire, Tôn Quyền, Sun Quyền, uh, ask him to come and talk to him. And uh, and the king was very impressed of uh, of Tang Hoi. So he allowed Tang Hoi and he supported Tang Hoi to build the first Buddhist temple in the kingdom of Wu. Uh, the name of the temple is First Built. King Sir, First Built Temple. Now, if you go to Nanking, you can still see the ring of that temple that was built around the middle of the third century. And he began to teach uh, Buddhist meditation. And that was about 300 years before Bodhidharma came to China. Because usually we think of Bodhidharma as the first teacher of Zen Buddhism in China. That's not true. 300 years before, Tang Hoi has came. Bodhidharma did not, Bodhidharma did not leave behind him uh, 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 writings. But Tang Hoi, he left behind many uh, works that are still preserved in the canon. And uh, Tang Hoi used also the Sutta on mindful breathing to teach. So what we do today is very much a continuation of uh, Master Tang Hoi's uh, teaching and practice. And the second king of uh, of the Wu Dynasty um, did not like Tang Tang Hoi, and he tried to um, to create difficulties. But finally, he was uh, he was con- uh, convinced by Tang Hoi to to practice Buddhism, and he received the five mindfulness trainings from Tang Hoi. The second. And that. That was recorded in Chinese uh, 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 documents. Cao Tang Truyền, stories of eminent monks in China. In the Zen tradition, there is one scripture that is very much uh, considered to be the beloved uh, scripture. That is the Diamond Sutra. You can imagine a Zen monk carrying in his uh, bag an old uh, script of uh, Diamond Sutra. And in the Diamond Sutra, uh, yeah, 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 urge to throw away, letting go, four kinds of notions. It's 
in order to be able to understand the true nature of reality and of yourself. And the four notions that you are asked to remove is the notion of self, the notion of man, the notion of a living being, and the notion of lifespan. It is said that in, in, the, in, in the Diamond Sutra, if someone Who's, who are still who is still caught in the notion of self, of uh, man, of uh, living beings, and of uh, uh, lifespan? He is not uh, free. A Buddhisattva who is still caught in these four uh, notions is not a real Buddhisattva. And we know that the Diamond Sutra is a, a Mahayana Sutra. And Mahayas, Mahayana Sutra, according to uh, uh, um, scholars, uh, appear later than, uh, than Theravada Sutras. But there is a a root sutra that uh, give uh, very much the same kind of, uh, of teaching.
the Sutra So the sutra, the original sutra that we spoke uh, of uh, is the sutra 296 of uh, Samyukta. Agama, Trường Tạp Aham. That's only for reference. First is the notion of self. When we look into our body, we see elements like uh, form. You can see uh, feelings. You can see uh, perceptions. You can see mental formations, and you can see consciousness. And these five elements, they interact with each other. They work together and produce thought and feelings and and so on, happiness and suffering, and so on. But we don't see anything that we can call self, the self. Suppose we see uh, the body and mind working together and produce a feeling. 
And what we can say is there is a feeling. But we don't need a feeler in order to have a feeling. There is uh, the production of a thought. And we say that there is a thought. But we cannot see the thinker. There is a thought, but there is no thinker. When we look at something, we see the something. When we look at uh, a tree, we see the, the tree. There is seeing, but there is no seer. And uh, our eyes does not see exactly. Usually we see the eyes sees, but the eyes is, is not the seer. The eyes is only one of the many conditions that can come together and, and bring about sight. There is sight, but there is no seer. There, is, there are thoughts, but there, are no, but there is no thinker. There are feelings, but there are no uh, feeler. Uh, if you open this booklet on page 28, and uh, if, we, if you read uh, the very first uh, verse, you see that there is absolutely no subject no agent, and no one who enjoys the fruit of action. And the second verse, there are only the twelve limbs of existence, the aggregate, the realms, and the worlds that are always changing. When you observe Totally and contemplate these things, we shall not find a separate self anywhere. So, here we are not talking about the conventional truth, we are approaching the absolute truth. Because in Buddhism, we speak of two kinds of truth the conventional one and the ultimate one. Uh, a dialogue with scientists uh, would not be possible if we, we, we do not uh, even forget this fact. There are two kinds of truths. Uh, conventional Truth Samriti 
Sat and uh, Ultimate Truth Paramatta Sat Sat is uh, Satya which means the truth In the conventional truth, you see you as a separate entity from him or her. You see that uh, there is someone who is born, there is someone who died. There is uh, someone who observes, and then there is someone that is something that is being observed. So that can be accepted in the realm of uh, conventional truth. But if we want to, to, to find up uh, the ultimate truth, you have to go further. You have to abandon the conventional truth. You have to leave uh, these notions behind, including the notions of being and non-being. Uh, birth and death and so on. So the practice of letting go of these notions are important. And the same thing is uh, true with science. When you are in classical science represented by Newton, you can use uh, these uh, notions that consciousness is something independent from the world of reality. Whether you are there or you are not there, you know or you don't know reality is reality. So that is um, the separation of consciousness and uh, nature as two distinctive things. There is a subject inside trying to reach out in order to understand the object. And that kind of, of, uh, of uh, belief, that kind of uh, notions, if you are not able to let go, to leave behind, you cannot go into the realm of uh, uh, ultimate truth. So in quantum physics, if you, you are not free from these notions, it's very difficult for you to approach and begin to understand. And you consider nature, reality, as absurd, because they are still using these mental categories in order to look. And scientists are struggling with, with this. Because, uh, because uh, many of them are still caught in these notions that are used 
when they observe uh, things uh, uh, in a way uh, of uh, classical science. So, scientists must be like a yogi, practitioners of meditation, have to learn how to leave behind these notions in order to, to be free enough to touch the ultimate. Whether that object that you observe is a particle or a wave, you have to be free enough. If you believe that that object should be or a particle or a wave, cannot be both, you are still caught. Uh, the truth is that uh, it can be both. And sometimes it behaves like a particle, sometimes it behaves like a wave. And maybe that, that object is neither a wave or a particle. Wave or particle are sign that you use, and you need that sign to recognize something. But the truth is that the object, the, rea- or the reality, is free from, from sign, from from notions. So, for the second second verse of uh, the on absolute truth. Is saying that uh, there are twelve limbs of existence, the aggregate, the realm, and uh, and the world that are always changing. We have spoke about five aggregate, five scandals. which is uh, form, feeling, perceptions, mental formation, and consciousness. And uh, the twelve uh, ayatanas. which is uh, eyes, nose, tongue, eyes, ear, eye, ears, nose, tongue, body, and mind. And the object of ears is a sound, form, smell, taste, touch, and object of mind. You see, they, we don't call it reality. 
we call it object of mind. And the other word, the word is Dharma. Dharma. Dharma is object of mind. As far as uh, the teaching of the Buddha is also Dharma, but with a capital D, Dharma. And uh, when Dharma is written with uh, a small d, it means uh, just uh, things, object of your mind. Hmm. And uh, you can say that the five can uh, is there, the twelve uh, uh, ayatana realms is there. But uh, looking deeply into the five skandhas and the twelve ayatana, you don't see itself. And also, if you look into the 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 consciousness that is produced by the contact between ear and sound, eyes and form, nose and smell. It's like um, this is sights, eyes consciousness, eyes consciousness, ear consciousness, nose consciousness, Tongue consciousness, body consciousness, and mind consciousness. So together we have uh, 16, uh, 18. Called the 18 uh, Datu. So when you when you observe uh, the five skandhas, the twelve ayatana, uh, the eighteen datus, you see them, but you don't see any self hidden behind them. Suppose you look at the thought. You see, the thought is well there, but there is no, no thinker hidden behind the thought. So, let us go back to the first, um, the first uh, verse. There is absolutely no subject. In fact, subject here is uh, the owner. You, you can translate uh, as owner, proprietor, proprietor. No one who owns this body. No boss, no owner, no pre- proprietor of this body, no proprietor of these uh, feelings. No proprietor of these uh, perceptions. 
So first there is no owner, there is no subject. Second, there is no, no agent. Agent is uh, actor. You can translate agent as actor also. The one who, who, who produces an action. There is action, but there is no actor. Looking deeply, you can see the action as existing, but you cannot see the, an actor separated from the action. The act may be good or, or bad, wholesome or, or unwholesome. It will result in suffering or happiness. But there is no act that produces that act. And then also there is no filler, there is no, um, no one to receive uh, the fruit of action, no uh, In the Chinese, Thao Ya, Tat Ya, there is no one who is the actor and the only one who receives the fruit of the action. There is action and the retribution of that action, but there is no actor and there is no one who is receiving the retribution. That is the ultimate truth. So we should uh, practice looking deeply in such a way and remove the notion of self. Suppose we say, the cloud is floating. The floating is an act, right? And we think that the cloud is an actor. But do you think that there is uh, an actor hidden behind the action of floating? There is a floater or not? There is something that is floated, but is there any floater? Suppose you say, it's raining, there is rain, is there any rainer behind? When you say, it rains, it rains, this is the action. We think that this is an action, a verb, and a verb always needs a, a noun, a subject and a, and a verb. But what is this it? Or is now 
Or when you say the wind blows, the wind blows. So the, there is an act of blowing, and the wind is the actor. The wind is the blower. But looking deeply, you see only the wind. The wind and the act of blowing is the same. If the air does not blow, it's not the wind. If the, the air stays at the same place, it's not the wind. That is only the air. So it sounds a little bit funny to say that there is the wind as an actor, and the wind is blowing. A wind that does not, is not blowing is not the wind at all. So the fact is that there is wind. You don't have to say blow. The wind is enough. The wind is the blowing. When neurologists in neuroscience, when they observe our brain, they see a multitude of neurons. The neurons are interacting with each other, always communicating with each other, and the neurons together produce thoughts, notions and feelings. And we do not see any neuron that play the, the role of the conductor. There's no self. All neurons uh, come together, work together, and there is the birth of a thought, a feeling, and so on. There is absolutely no self that is uh, uh, running the brain in order to produce uh, something like a thought or a feeling. And in our body, the same. Our body is uh, made of uh, trillions of cells. And no cell is playing the role of the boss and giving order for this cell to do this and the other cell to do that. So looking deeply with the eyes of scientists, we can touch the truth of no self. We have a very nice exercise of practice of breathing. And it guides us slowly, slowly into the inside of no self. And I think those of us who do not know that exercise should learn. It's so pleasant. You get a lot of pleasant feelings, joy, and peace while practicing that uh, exercise. And you can get the insight of no self also. It goes like this. Let the Buddha 
breathe. Let the Buddha sit. I don't have to breathe. I don't have to sit. That is the first part of the exercise. You invite the Buddha in you to breathe for you and to sit for you. And you know that the Buddha is in you because you have a potentiality of becoming a Buddha. You have the seat of mindfulness, concentration and insight in you. So there is a, a ground in order for you to do that, to invite the Buddha to sit and breathe for you. And you know that once the Buddha breathes, the quality of his breathing should be very good, excellent. And when he sits, he always sits upright and relaxed. So he allow, you allow the Buddha to breathe and sit for you and you just enjoy. Very nice. And the Buddha never failed to, to do that for you when you ask him to do so. Very nice. One day I found myself um, in a difficult situation. It was in uh, uh, South uh, Korea, Seoul. We gathered in order to do walking meditation. A thousand people came and surrounded us, and most of them have a <laughs> camcorder. I saw a jungle of uh, camera camcorder. <laughs> There is no path to walk at all. Everyone likes to take pictures. So there's no way to do walk meditation. And uh, they had to ask the Buddha to help. Dear Buddha, you walk for me. I surrender. I give up. <laughs> and right, right away the Buddha began his first step very mindful, very majestuously. And suddenly the crowd, the, 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 the crowd uh, began to, to, to allow space for the Buddha to walk. It's like a miracle. If I try myself, I would not be able to do so. So I asked the Buddha to do, and he took action right away. So from now on, if you find yourself in difficulties, Ask Buddha in you to do it for you, and he will do it. We have to get faith, faith in, in the Buddha in you. When you find yourself in a very difficult situation, ask him, ask her to come out and do it for you. And now, this is easy. Let the Buddha breathe. I'm a little bit lazy. Let the Buddha sit. I enjoy breathing, I enjoy uh, breathing and sitting. And then the next uh, gata, Buddha is breathing, Buddha is sitting, I enjoy breathing, I enjoy sitting. Mm. And then we come to the third uh, uh, verse. Buddha is breathing, Buddha is sitting, I am breathing, I am sitting. And you 
and the Buddha in the beginning are separate. The Buddha enjoy, uh, the Buddha practice, and you enjoy the outcome of practice. And then you come closer, Buddha is breathing, Buddha is sitting, I am breathing, I am sitting, you get close. There is a breathing, there is sitting. No one is breathing, no one is sitting. And you see that uh, the sitting is right there, the breathing is right there. And because the breathing is of uh, a superb uh, um, quality, because when the Buddha breathes, the quality of breathing is superb. And when the Buddha sits, his, uh, the quality of his sitting is perfect. And that is why you recognize the presence of the Buddha. The presence of the Buddha is recognized by the quality of breathing and the quality of sitting. Otherwise, how you can recognize a Buddha? Since uh, the quality of breathing and sitting is perfect, you know that the Buddha is there. There is sitting, there is breathing, there is no one sitter and sitting, there is no one breathing. And you touch the self, the, the truth of not, not self. Everything that is there, the real thing that is there, is the breathing and the sitting. You can be sure of that. This, the breathing is, is there, is going on. The sitting is going on, and with high quality. And there is no Buddha outside of that sitting and not breathing. And because of the high quality of breathing and sitting, you know that the Buddha is there. The Buddha doesn't exist outside of the breathing and the sitting. There is only breath, the breath and the sitting. There is no breather, there is no sitter. You have to recognize the Buddha in his action, in his way of doing things. And when you breathe mindfully, happily, joyfully and freely, well, that is the Buddha. And you can touch the Buddha in that way. You don't look for a Buddha outside of these kind of things. When there is a, a high quality of breathing, of sitting, when there is a, a kind of acting that is full of um, mindfulness and compassion, you know that the Buddha is there. There is no Buddha outside of these things. So, uh, skandhas, ayatanas, and dhatus, they are there, but the self is self-separated from that. 
is something that does not really exist. Buddha is breathing, Buddha is sitting, I am breathing, I am sitting. There is the breathing, there is sitting, there is no one. Breathing, there is no one sitting. Joy in the breathing, peace in the sitting. Joy is the sitting, peace is the breathing. So you cannot find joy and uh, uh, and uh, peace and happiness outside of the sitting, outside of the breathing. So this is a very nice uh, uh, exercise of mindful breathing that you can use uh, in the sitting position, in the walking <coughs> position, or in the lying position. So when René Descartes said that uh, I think, therefore I am, he tried to, 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 to demonstrate something. Who tried, he tried to convince you of something, that the self exists. Je pense donc je suis. I think, therefore I am. This is an argument. That since the thinking is there, there must be a thinker. So he wants to prove that the self exists because the action is there. If there is an action, there must be an actor. But this is the opposite, opposite of the teaching of the Buddha. In the Buddha's teaching, there is the thinking, but there is no thinker. Thinking without a thinker, thought without thinker. You don't need a thinker in order for thought to be possible. You don't need a renner in order for rain to be possible. You do not need a blower for the wind to blow behind. But uh, we have the kind of deep belief that there is a self that continues always unchanged while everything else is changing. Five scandals. Twelve ayatanas, eighteen datus, they are always changing every moment. But there is something hidden behind all of that and continue to be the same. And that is the self. 
in the teaching of Buddha, such a thing doesn't exist. So in the, in the conventional realm of truth, we think that if there is thought, there must be a thinker. If there is rain, there must be a rainer. But when we observe, we see that we don't need. We don't need an owner. We don't need an actor. We don't need a receiver. Receiver of the contribution. Tatya. Tatya. There is a sutra, uh, that is sutra uh, 300 of the Samyukta Agama. Look whether we have that uh, in the book, in the booklet. By Kung Fapkin. Maybe not. The Buddha was uh, going uh, in an arm round with uh, the monks. And he was stopped by a practitioner of another tradition. That is school of uh, practice. Uh, uh, ascetic uh, practitioner. 
and uh, those uh, practitioners they don't wear any clothes. They want to live uh, uh, like in nature. They don't need uh, clothing. And he stopped the Buddha and he want to ask the Buddha something about the teaching of the Buddha. The Buddha said that well, it's not convenient that we are we are on uh, arm round. But he insisted three times, and he said that, well, my question is very short. So the Buddha accepted to answer his question. What do you say, Gautama, is the one who acts, the one who receives the result? Is the one who acts, is the same with the one who receives the fruit of action? Suppose you do something today, and tomorrow, or after tomorrow, who is going to be the one who receives? That person who reaps the fruit of action is the same person or another person. And the Buddha said, uh, I I do not answer this question. I do not answer this question. This is not a good question. And uh, I do not uh, answer this question. And then he pressed. In that way, you think that the one who acts and the one who received the fruit of action are two different persons? And the Buddha said, no, I don't answer that question either. <laughs> the first question is whether the one who, who acts, the one who received the fruit of action is one. The Buddha said, I don't answer. And he asked this, the second question. That, that means that uh, you say that uh, the one who acts and the one who received the the retribution are two persons, the Buddha said no. The ascetic said to the Buddha, what does this mean when I ask is the one who acts uh, and the one who experienced the result is the same? You say that that's not to be answered. And when I ask, is the one that act and another or another 
one experience you say that uh, uh, you cannot answer what that does what does that mean and this is the answer to the Buddha to the to that question to declare that the one who acts is the same with the one who experiences is to fall in a view called eternalist view. And to declare that that one who acts and that one who experiences the result uh, uh, is uh, not the same person that is to fall into the annihilationist view. Eternalism and annihilism. Teaching the essence, teaching the Dharma, I avoid these two extremes. Keeping the middle way, I teach the Dharma. And this, uh, this uh, sutra uh, shows us that, uh, that um, there is uh, that pair of views that should be transcended, uh, the same and uh, the different. The one who acts and the one who is receiving the fruit of action, they are neither the same nor a different person. So sameness and uh, otherness uh, are two notions that you have to, to, to remove. And this is another aspect of uh, the teaching because, uh, because uh, when we observe uh, reality as it is, uh, we see that everything is changing all the time. And there is nothing that uh, can remain exactly the same. So there is no self at all. Uh, self should be something that remains the same uh, all the time. And if you believe that uh, the self is something that, uh, that remains the same all the time, you fall into a kind of a view called uh, eternalism. And uh, if, uh, uh, if uh, you go, you say the opposite, you fall into the trap of uh, uh, anahilism. So uh, there, are, there are 41 uh, gathas. There are 41 gathas in the list of gathas, Paramatta gathas. And let us go to the last one, page 39. Living beings is the name of a continuous stream. There is a stream, there is a continuum. 
when you when you talk of uh, living beings, looking deeply, you don't see any permanent self inside of living beings. You should train yourself to see living beings as uh, streams. There is a continuum. That is a continuum. Living beings is the name of a continuous stream. And all the phenomena as object of perception are only sign. Therefore, there is no real change of birth into death and death into birth, and no one who relies nirvana. This is this is also about uh, removing the notion of self. We talk that uh, salvation, uh, emancipation, liberation, uh, in terms of self. And the question we ask is that who is uh, who is in caught in the in the course of uh, transmigration. Uh, who, who is going through birth and death? If you speak of uh, reincarnation, if you speak of transmigration, if you speak of rebirth, uh, you must suppose that it is a self in order to go through birth and death. But the fact is that only there is a stream, there is a combination of birth and death. But we don't need an agent, a subject, a self, in order to go through. And there is a possibility of uh, of getting out of birth and death. There is a possibility of uh, being liberate, liberated. There is the possibility of uh, touching nirvana. But there is no self in order to, to enter nirvana. So, birth and death is possible without a self. And nirvana is possible also without a self. And that is why removing the notion of self is uh, very crucial in this. Because self, when you are caught in the, in the notion of self, you are caught at the same time in the notion of what is not self. Because the self must be the opposite of what is not self. When you take something, something you single it out and you call it self and the rest will be the opposite of self. So you are still caught in the double grasping, self and non-self. So the first notion you have to remove is the notion of self. And all Buddhist teaching is centered on, on this, removing the notion of self. And uh, that does not mean that you that uh, that life is not there and uh, the streams of uh, living are not there. 
the second notion of uh, uh, that we have to remove is the notion of man. We had uh, some discussion with uh, Professor Thun the other day um, on man and non-man elements. And uh, he told us that only human beings can produce uh, that kind of, uh, of thought of mind. And we try to uh, remind him that man is made of uh, non-man elements. Man has uh, uh, human ancestors, but man also has uh, animal ancestors, vegetable ancestors, and mineral ancestors. And that does, that is not uh, something belonging to the past. We continue to be animals, vegetables and minerals at this very moment. And every time you produce a thought, even the best of, uh, of thoughts, well, all elements are coming together and have produced that thought. So there should not be a discrimination between man and non-man elements. Because man is made only of non-man elements. And that way we are free. And uh, the practice of deep uh, ecology uh, should not be possible without that insight of interbeing between man and non-man elements. In order to protect uh, man, in order to help man survive, we have to do everything in order to protect uh, non-man elements, namely animals, uh, plants, and minerals. And uh, the third uh, notion that we have to remove is the notion of living beings. Living being here, it means uh, those who are not Buddhas, Bodhisattvas. There is uh, a complex, there may be a complex between uh, uh, when we stand in front of the Buddha. We say the Buddha is uh, different from a living being, but uh, we are taught that a Buddha is also a living being. Uh, a Buddha is made only of non-Buddha elements. Looking deeply into the person of the Buddha, we see afflictions, suffering, that have been transformed into joy and happiness and compassion. And if we have not seen all these non-Buddha elements in him, we have not seen him yet. It's like looking into a lotus flower, we have to see things like uh, water and uh, mud, the mud. If you, you have not seen all, all these non-lotus elements in the lotus, you have not really seen the lotus. So when you see that the, uh, 
the obstacle between you and the Buddha will be removed, and then there will be deep communication between you and the Buddha. Mm. And that is uh, what uh, we call Sinh Phật Bất Nhị. Sun means uh, living beings, and Phật is Buddha. Living beings and Buddha are not two, two different things. A non-dualistic view of Buddha and living beings. We have the, we have the complex that we are mortals, and Buddhas are immortal. Uh, complex that. Uh, 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 Jesus Christ is a God immortal, that we are men, we are mortals. And if we have that kind of complex of, of view, uh, it's very difficult to have real communion, communication with Jesus Christ. So the insight of interbeing concerning um, living being is very crucial. And uh, and the last notion that we have to remove is the notion of lifespan. The other day we already. Uh, Consider this. This is a line uh, representing time, and uh, we believe that uh, we are born at one point of time, and we will die at another point of time, point D. And we believe that uh, we exist only uh, beginning at point B. And when we arrive at the point D, we, we stop existing, we die. So the segment BD is our lifespan. And according to the teaching of Buddha, that is not right view, that is not absolute truth, that is not ultimate truth. In the conventional realm of truth, uh, you might talk of birth and death. You might talk of lifespan. But uh, if you touch the reality deeper, you find out that it is not correct to do like that. You believe that uh, the segment uh, from B to D represents uh, being your your existence and uh, the segment before B uh, represent non-being. From the realm of non-being you have passed into the realm of being. There is a self beginning here and will vanish here. And uh, you do not exist here. Uh, it's your non-being. 
That's our way of thinking. But uh, when we come to reality in itself, when we practice looking deeply, we see that everything is free from, from birth and death. There is no beginning. We have used the, the example of a cloud. A cloud has no beginning. When she manifests herself in the form of a cloud, that is only a continuation. Before that, she did not belong to the realm of non-being. She was already something else. She was the water in the ocean, the heat generated from the sun and sun. So you cannot qualify the cloud as non-being before she appears as a cloud. The nature of the cloud is the nature of no birth. A cloud has never been born. And it is impossible for a cloud to die also. Because in our way of thinking, conventional truth, to die means from something you become nothing. From someone you become no one. But it is uh, evident that a cloud cannot die. A cloud cannot pass from being into non-being. A cloud can only change the form and transform. So uh, uh, the cloud can become rain or snow or ice, but not nothing. So looking like that, we can remove uh, the notion of birth and death. Not only the nature of the cloud is no birth and no death, but the notion of uh, the nature of everything is like that. Our true nature is also the nature of no birth and no death. And if we experience that, we touch uh, nirvana, we touch the ultimate. And uh, what is wonderful is that when you are able to remove the notion of birth and death, you can remove also the notion of being and non-being. It's very logical because our definition of birth and death is based on the notion of being and non-being. To be born means from the realm of non-being, you pass into the realm of being. And to die means from the realm of being, you pass into the realm of non-being. So the notion of birth and death go together with the notion of being and non-being. And if uh, we can remove uh, both pairs of opposite, we are free. And many questions can be resolved just because we are able to remove uh, uh, the notion of uh, birth and death. And we do not think anymore that uh, our life is only 100 years or less. It is possible for us to die. To describe us as being is wrong and to describe it us as non-being is equally wrong 
And these are only notions that cannot be applied to the ultimate reality. And to me, today, it's wonderful that science has discovered no birth and no death. Because according to the law of conservation of energy and matter, nothing is born and nothing dies. Everything we observe in us and around us can be described as matter or energy. And our mind is energy also, very powerful energy. Matter and mind are all energies. And according to the teaching of the Buddha, there is no birth and there is no death. And that has been confirmed by scientists. Nothing is born, nothing can die. Suppose you do a chemical reaction, you prepare a few substances, and you put them together. And during the, the, uh, the, the chemical reaction taking place, you see the disappearance uh, of some substance. And you may say that substance is no is no longer there. But uh, looking deeply, scientists will say that uh, this, uh, the mass uh, of these all these uh, elements, when they enter the reaction, and after the reaction, they remain the same. Nothing is added. Nothing is lost. And exactly like in the Heart Sutra, is no. Uh, uh, increasing is no decreasing, nothing is lost. So the first law of thermodynamics is that you cannot create new, you, you cannot create energy. You can only transfer energy. You cannot create matter, because the nature of matter energy is nature of no birth and no death. So the, the point where Buddhism and science can begin is the insight of no birth and no death. Because there is perfect agreement between the two traditions. The first law of uh, thermodynamics, there is no no birth and is no, no death. The law of conservation of matter and energy. And it's a very solid ground to begin with. And if uh, scientists uh, agree that birth and death are only notions that cannot be applied to reality, and then they will stop uh, looking for a beginning of the cosmos. It's a waste of time. <laughs> and uh, if they, stir, they, 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 they stand on that firm ground of the inside of no birth and no death, they will have to accept also that being and non-being are just another pair of notions. Because once you accept the uh, the absence of birth and death, you find out 
equally that the notion of being and non-being cannot be applied to reality. And we know that philosophers used to ask the question, why all these things come from? How from nothing, something occurs? Why is there something rather than nothing? All these questions, not only philosophers ask, but also scientists are asking. Why there is something rather than nothing? Why all of that come from? What is the origin of cosmos? Is there any creator? Or or the cosmos can generate its own birth? Stephen Hawking, in his book, uh, The Grand Design, the grand design, he said, because there is a law like uh, gravity, yeah. the world can, uh, can, can begin to, uh, to create itself outside, uh, uh, out of nothing. Because there is a law like gravity, the cosmos can 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 generate its own birth out of nothing. So it's still caught in all these notions of being and non-being and birth and death. Let us begin with a sutra. The discourse uh, on the midway, page uh, 19-17. I heard these words of the Buddha one time when the Lord was staying in the guest house, at the guest house in a forest of the district of Nala. At that time, the Venerable Kakayana, Katyayana, came to visit him and asked, The Tathagata has spoken often of right view. How would the Tathagata describe right view? We know that right view is one of the eight elements of the Noble Eightfold Path, the path of practice. And the Buddha told the Venerable Monk, Venerable Monk, People in the world tend to believe in one of the two views, the view of being or the view of non-being. That is because they are bound to wrong perceptions. It is wrong perception that leads to the concepts of being and non-being. Kakayana, most people are bound to the internal formations and discrimination and preference, grasping and attachment. Those who are not bound to the internal knots of grasping and attachment no longer imagine and cling to the idea of a self. They understand, for example, that suffering comes from into being when conditions are favorable, and it fades away when conditions are no longer favorable. 
they no longer have any doubt. The understanding has not come to them through others. It is their own insight. This insight is called right view. And this is the way the Tagata would describe right view. We may need time to explain uh, this paragraph, but what we need to remember now is um, the Buddha described uh, right view in terms of uh, the freedom uh, concerning uh, the notion of being and non-being. And right thinking should be should reflect that kind of uh, insight, right action also. So when we ask the question whether whether the world out there is there or not. Uh, it is not there. Mm. We have to remember. Because we will lose a lot of time, maybe our whole life, discussing on that. Because to be and not to be, there are two notions. And the notion of being and non-being cannot be ascribed this, uh, to, to reality. Reality is uh, free from notion of being and non-being. There is a, a scholar spending many years uh, written, uh, writing a book on Nirvana. And many uh, and f- uh, focusing around the notion whether Nirvana exists or does not exist. <laughs> but Nirvana is the ultimate reality. And to say that Nirvana exists is wrong. Uh, to say that Nirvana doesn't exist is equally wrong. Nirvana transcends both notions of uh, being and non-being. And not only Nirvana, a cloud also, a flame also. So in Buddhism, we, we prefer the expression um, manifestation. The other day, we already uh, spoke about uh, a flame. And do you remember they asked the question, the flame has not manifested for us yet. We need a sign in order to recognize the flame. And when the flame uh, manifests, we say, uh, it is there, it exists. It belongs to the realm of existence, of being. But now it has not manifested. 
And do we really believe that the flame now belongs to the realm of non-being? Is it possible for something belonging to the realm of non-being come into the realm of being? The fact is that we have to train ourselves before the flame manifests herself, we should see the flame free from the notion of being and non-being. To say that now, in this very moment, the flame is not there is wrong. And to say that the flame is there is equally wrong. We know that uh, Looking deeply, we see that when conditions come together sufficiently, and then the flame can manifest, it does not come from the realm of non-being. Manifestation is different from birth. You are a manifestation, you are not a creation. You have not come from nothing. Nothing can come from nothing, then nothing can go and become nothing. So uh, the notion of being and not being should be removed in order for us to see deeply the true nature of reality. So after, before the manifestation of the flame. We should not uh, describe the flame of uh, being or non-being. And even after the manifestation of the flame, we have a perception of the flame. We should not qualify it as being either. And of course, it is free also from the notion of non-being. So this is very important. Such a sutra, only one line can already be very helpful. Right understanding, right view is free from the notion of being and non-being. in the conventional, uh, in the realm of con- conventional truth, we speak of birth and death, being there or not being there, and we are used to it. And that is why it's difficult for us to remove these notions in order to get in touch with the ultimate. And the ultimate is not something far away. The ultimate should be right there. It's uh, visible if we have that kind of, um, of wisdom called the wisdom of uh, non-discrimination free of all these views.
Now we have only uh, the translation in English of some of the sutras. And we have here uh, the uh, origin in Sanskrit, uh, in uh, Chinese. I think uh, we should have translate uh, some of these sutras into French or other languages so that uh, our friends uh, who do not read English can Mm. and have something to use during this retreat. And uh, we have uh, on page uh, 40, 41, the list of uh, mental formations that can be very helpful. In our practice, uh, every time a mental formation emerges, manifest in the upper level of our mind, we should be able to recognize it and stay with it if uh, needed. Mental formations uh, should be considered also as uh, energies. And with the practice of mindfulness, concentration, and insight, it can it can transfer energy. It can transform energy. We can transform a negative energy into a positive one. But in order to do so, we have to be able to recognize the energy. Uh, Because um, mental formations, they are also of an organic nature, like love and hate, despair and hope. They, they are energies that can be transformed. If you do not know how to handle the energy of love, it will become something else like hate, and that will bring despair despair and suffering. But if we know how to make good use of the energy of mindfulness and insight, we'll be able to transform the energy of anger and hate into the energy of love again. So love and hate are also organic. All mental formations are organic. And that is why transformation and healing is possible. We don't need to, uh, to create new energy because we know that uh, according to the law, uh, you can only transfer and transform energy, and you cannot create new energy. And uh, that is why uh, we do exactly like um, uh, a gardener, an organic gardener. Uh, the uh, garbage produced by the garden, 
uh, flowers, uh, vegetables uh, can be rotten and they come garbage. And as an organic gardener, we preserve all that and try to to make them into compost in order to nourish uh, flowers and vegetables. So the principle of uh, trans, uh, energy transfer is uh, also true in this practice. And uh, suffering and happiness are also of uh, an organic uh, nature. It is with the suffering that we can create happiness. And we have learned that uh, understanding suffering brings about uh, compassion, love, and forgiveness, which is uh, the elements of true happiness. And the Buddha is aware that suffering and uh, happiness, they inter are. It's like left and right, they are always together. The difference between a practitioner, a non-practitioner, is that uh, on both sides they have suffering and happiness. But the practitioner knows how to make good use of that suffering in order to create happiness. And the non-practitioner overwhelms himself to be overwhelmed by suffering and does not know how to transform it into happiness again. And once we have been able to to, to transform suffering into happiness, we have to continue our practice in order to keep happiness long, longer. And in the case happiness uh, degenerates into something else, we have our practice in order to recreate happiness. That is why uh, the Buddha, after enlightenment, continue to practice. You might have uh, thought that when you have Becoming Buddha, why do you have to continue your practice? <laughs> because the, the purpose of practice is to have peace, to have joy, to have uh, compassion. And these are energies. And you have to keep practicing in order to produce more and more of that energy. And that is why we understand why the Buddha, after enlightenment, continue to do sitting meditation, walking meditation, and so on. Because uh, everything is impermanent, including your happiness, uh, your compassion. Compassion is to be nourished, happiness also. And as a practitioner, you are skillful enough to make use of non-happiness elements in order to create happiness. And that is why to recognize mental formations as they are is the first step. And we should not be afraid of anger, of fear, of despair. We say, good morning, my anger. I will take care of you, and I will make good use of you. <laughs>